Welcome to that Super Fan Talk Podcast, only on the Infinite Potato Alliance. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Hold on to your butt. And here we go. From the historic Infinite Potato Studios, this is That Super Fan Talk Podcast. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Hasta la vista, baby. Join us as we dive deep into all fandoms and genres of cinema and television. I like those odds. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. No gatekeeping. No toxic fandom. A monkey's might fly out of my butt. Now, only inches away from a tall glass of Diet Mountain Dew. Just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Here is your host, Sean Ray. It's Sean. Shawnee, if you're feeling a little loose. Never the Sean dog, because that's just lame, and I've never been one to chase balls. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. All right, it was a miracle. Can we go now? Keep the change, you filthy animal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of that Super Fan Talk podcast. My name is Sean Ray, and I think it's really ironic that some of the same people that told me not to believe everything I saw on TV are now having me told not to believe everything they see on Facebook. Sitting right there across the virtual table from me is Mr. John Irons. How's it going, sir? It's going good. <laughs> also here in the virtual studio, we have Mr. Scott Madison. How are you? Uh, I'm doing just as well as I was doing the last time we did this episode, which th- that was supposed to be a remake joke, but I didn't actually write it before I said it. So uh, who's next? I was about to say, we've never done this before. <laughs> we may have done something similar. Uh, and also joining us tonight from the Quantum Leap Podcast, we have Mr. Christopher D. Philippus. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, as always. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about movies that you might not realize are, are remakes or movies that we didn't realize were remakes when we saw them. But before we get into that... Chris, I'm actually glad you joined us tonight because Uh-oh. <laughs> I was I was gonna write out an email and send it into your show, but the the episode <laughs> the episode was actually a while back, so I knew you'd actually be on eventually. So I just thought I'd bring it up now. Okay. I re I rewatched trilogy last oh, week. Do we have to talk about trilogy? <laughs> yes, <laughs> a little bit. Go on. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for it. I I loved Trilogy when it first aired 30 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had it on video and I watched it several times when I was younger. But rewatching it this week, I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I've got kids or whatever, but I'm a big fan. Okay, I, I, I will say I like the way Sam kept getting drawn and people were we're talking about quantum leap if if i didn't say that we're talking about an episode of quantum leap called trilogy it's actually three episodes uh that by the way they have a they they are titled trilogy on the credits but 
when you look at it at Roku, they all have different episode names for some yeah, reason. They do. Um, so I like the way that Sam keeps getting drawn back into this girl's life. And I'm also a big fan of Southern Gothic stuff. You know, I love True Detective and Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, you know, that kind of stuff. But this time it hit me different because the transition from part one to part two gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, you think? <laughs> Because in episode one, he's taking care of Abigail as though he she's his daughter, which I mean she is the guy's daughter that yeah. he leaped into. But he's actually being a father to her, going going on a picnic with her and stuff. And then he leaps and he's having sex with her. Yeah, literally in the middle of yeah. That's when he leaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and it, it's yeah. even worse because. It was a it was a violation for both of them because she didn't know that he was a different person. Yeah, he had no choice in the way, where he came in at. Well, that depends. So, that so depends speak. on you know. Should we spoil? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, quantum yeah. Leap? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, this is the Quantum Leap podcast. You can you yeah. can spoil whatever. If you take thirty years, if you if you take the what what was revealed to Sam in the final episode of the series that leapers leap themselves. There's some subconscious part of him that that sent him there to that moment. Now, I don't know. I don't even know if we discussed So you think some sub- subconscious part of Sam was looking for some ass when he, <laughs> when he was leaping? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he just I searched really it know. out. <laughs> I never – I didn't interpret it that way. Of what? The, the Which part? The – that uh, Sam has that much control – over, I think. Well, they said it in the finale. They said th- no, no, says no. in the finale, "You're leaping you. You've been leaping yes, you all the time." Yes, me leaping me is not the same as me having pinpoint precision as to when and where I appear That's or to true. whom. <laughs> I I got the sense that he didn't stop because he didn't want to stop, but that didn't necessarily mean that he was he could steer. Gotcha. That's that's in, a very in, valid in, ti- in time or place. Yeah. I think he wanted to keep doing good. Well, there are there good. there was one specific instance where you can tell that he did leap himself, and he landed exactly where he needed to be, where he wanted to be, which was the leap home part two of Vietnam. Yeah, but that was I, I would say that's the exception. That's I was like him, you know, super focusing his spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sean, you are not alone in thinking of not just the heebie-jeebies about the just the the, uh, the optics of it are disgusting, but. The fact that it's a violation to both of them, that was Allison's main point about the episode and her not liking it because it really – even taking Quantum Leap as problematic on that level in so many ways, to bring it to that point, I think up until that point, we hadn't actually seen see Sam have any kind of sex – until Temptation Eyes, and in that one, Tamlin knew who he was. She was able to see through the aura to to the real Sam. Mm-hmm. So that was completely consensual for both of them. They both knew what they were getting into. In this one, like you said, Sam leaped in. He doesn't have control over where he leaps in, and she doesn't know that um, it's not Will, that it's Sam. But they even went over the top to try to make it like it was natural and it was right because she kept on saying stuff like, I didn't think that I was loved you or whatever. But then the other night when we were together, something happened, something changed. And I feel like, you know, they, they made it almost like 
star-crossed lovers. Like he was meant to be there with her. Yeah. It could have played much better if he wasn't her dad 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. The first time was a violation on both of them. It's like God, time, fate, whatever, like rape both of them. Mm. <laughs> but, the, but the second wow. time, the second time, <laughs> shame on you, Sam. <laughs> well, and Sam was really out of character in that because he yeah, kept on telling Al, like, I can't get her out of my mind. I, the smell of her to touch her, to feel her to, and it was just, it was, it, it was creepy and gross. Yeah. So I didn't like Trilogy when I first saw it, not for these reasons. I just thought it was a goddamn bore, and that has not changed um, upon this rewatch for the podcast. But now I find so much more wrong with it aside from that that I never really thought about before because I just I get to discuss the show with two very intelligent people who have um, you know points of view that are completely foreign to mine. And right. yeah, Allison pointing that out, I never, I don't even think I would have considered it. But yeah, you honed in on whoa, what a major problem that was. But yeah. do you still, aside from that, I know that you said that you you rewatched it and you got that icky feeling. But is it still like one of your favorite leaps? Kind of because I just I just like that the, there's a whole thing with season five. Everything in season five is is so different. But I like the idea of Sam is connected to this point in this point in time and he keeps coming back and he keeps coming back. There's continuous things that he keeps having to come fix with these, this set of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he keeps coming back and he's leaping. And I like that he's leaping into different people. He's not leaping back into the same guy, you know, like, you know, he leaped into Jimmy twice. Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't do that here. They had him leap into different people and you knew who the people were because you had met them. You had met them in other episodes. Right. Right. Um, I didn't like, in the third episode, when it opens with the cliche, overweight women can't be sexy, and it's funny yeah. if they try. You know, <laughs> I didn't like that at all. But uh, but that's that's just going back and watching something that was made in the eighties and nineties. There's always you're always going to see things that are problematic. Watching stuff with today's sensibilities that was made, mm. you know, twenty thirty years ago. So yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that. Of of many of the shows that I watch, Quantum Leap doesn't suffer from that as much. Mm -hmm. but boy, does it in trilogy, in my opinion. Yeah, and yeah. Some of Val's behavior is a bit questionable. It was played for laughs and being lecherous and you know horny all the time. But um, even that is not as egregious in context as I think other stuff might be from that time. I don't know why, maybe because I have a soft spot for Dean. I like his performance. I like the character of Al. And, um, I, but I, I think on the whole quantum leap stands up remarkably well in that regard. And, uh, I think maybe because it was so ahead of its time on a lot of the issues that are focused on. So yeah. the lessons that it was trying to teach and, you know, sort of the, the topics that it was tackling are still really relevant and that makes it age very well. Because they're right. almost they're like evergreen kinds of kinds of ideas and stories, and a lot of it's shockingly relevant to what's going on today. You wouldn't know that we've you know gone thirty years, and you got to think that the time that Sam leapt into was you know thirty years before that. So we're talking about you know systemic problems that have been with us since the founding of this country, and don't seem to be going anywhere. 
Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, it's a classic show. Mm. It's 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 great to go back and visit. But uh, uh, I heard you. I, I did listen to your last episode, and I heard you talking about where to find the show. And you said you've been watching it on the NBC app. Yeah. Yeah. I hate the NBC app. It's, uh, I don't know if it's just the NBC app. <laughs> yeah, if it, I don't know if it's just on my TV, but it glitches so much. I have to restart it a lot. But it it is on Roku. So if you have Roku, they have they all don't. five seasons on that. The Roku and, channel. Uh, yeah, you can. I know you can download it for free on your phone. I'm not sure about it on your uh, smart TV. I have it on my smart TV because my smart TV is a Roku TV, and it, yeah, it just comes smart, with it on there. So I have um, an OLED. What is that? LG? I think it's LG. I bought it because I like the picture in the store. And you I check one- your uh, check your app store and see but if the it app has- store. I don't. I don't believe the Roku is on that app store. Same thing. Okay. Like I can't get HBO Max on that app store. They just don't have it. Which oh, is really? Weird. Yeah. So I have to do that through my phone. Not that I use it a lot, but you know. So if you're telling me I can download a Roku app for free and then just pair my phone to my TV to watch Quantum Leap instead of using the NBC app, it's free there. The show. Yeah. Is it with oh, commercials yeah. or? Yeah, it has commercials, but there's not a lot of commercials. Yeah, because I just spent money on two episodes that I wanted to see. And, um, you know, I've seen them all. Both I I watched The Leap Back and I watched Mirror Image one night because I was just in the mood to. And I just gave my money to Amazon. Like, here, Bezos, let me watch your Quantum Leap rerun and actually pay for it. But what are you going to do? I haven't checked. I haven't checked because I remember when, when Quantum Leap used to be on Netflix, there were several episodes that were missing. Because of rights issues, music and stuff like that. I, I haven't checked to see if those episodes are on Roku, but I think well, they are. The one thing that's really great about the NBC app is that it has all of the episodes with all the original music intact. Yeah. Which is a big deal for Quantum Leap because a lot of episodes hinge on the music, not only to give them a place in time, but uh, especially like MIA was the, the song at the end is so integral to basically the arc of the series it's georgia by um uh ray charles and they replaced it with this horrible sort of jaunty supermarket music it sounded like a cross between like uh magic strings and elevator music it was so yeah Yeah, and then it was bad and i i don't know if they couldn't get the music rights to do mia then what happens at the end of mirror image i i've never seen mirror image without that song and i can't imagine that you know, it would it would just ruin it. Yeah, I remember Lee, Lee Harvey Oswald was not on Netflix when it when Quantum Leap was there, and it's weird because that episode gets referenced back to a few times. Yeah, throughout, throughout season five, and uh, and without that episode being there, <laughs> what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why that why that wouldn't be available. Yeah, it's, it's 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 odd. It's odd, but thankfully, you know, as bad as the NBC app is, and it sucks. Let me let me if if I wasn't clear about that, let me reiterate: it sucks. But you get the complete show in HD with everything intact. So you got to just sit through a thousand, I don't know, Allegra D commercials and uh, whatever else they're streaming. Sometimes the mer- the commercials even come up in Spanish, which is my favorite. <laughs> 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 All right. So there are a lot of movies that are based on other things. And most of the time, if an older movie is getting remade, they make a big deal out of it because the fact that they're remaking it is the draw for the audience. Like when they remade RoboCop, you know, and stuff like that. But 
sometimes they don't make a big deal out of it because the original thing was not really made for the audience that the new thing is ma- made for, such as they take a Spanish movie and they remake it into an American movie. Well, the American version is not made for Spanish audiences. You know, uh, a good example is uh, the Maltese Falcon. The Maltese Falcon is based on the book, the Maltese Falcon, but it's also based on another movie that was pre code that came out in the, when did the Maltese Falcon come out in the, in the forties. So this one was in the thirties and it was a comedy, but it was the same plot, you know? So, so sometimes they make them for a, a different audience. What that's what we're going to talk about tonight. You're you might not have known that these were remakes, or we didn't know that they were remakes when we originally saw them. Scott, why don't you start us off? What's the first one that you've got on your list? Uh, my list starts out with, uh, and this this one is probably a little more known as remake than some others that we'll talk about tonight. Uh, but the first one that occurred to me as I was uh, going through in my head was. Uh, the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, uh, I think, uh, three-peat. This was the, I think, the, the third film that they uh, teamed up on as a, as co-stars was You've Got Mail. Yeah. Uh, which was a remake of Shop Around the Corner with someone help me out. And does anyone know who starred in the original? I, I don't look- even know who Meg Ryan is. What? <laughs> I don't know who Meg is. It's America's Sweetheart. <laughs> That's Sandra uh, Bullock, apparently. Cannot help you with who was in it, but that was also on my list. Because it, was one of, it was one of the few that I didn't know. Um, that's, that's what I thought. It's, uh, uh, Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Margaret Sullivan and Jimmy Stewart from oh. 1940. Okay. Which was, in turn, based on the Hungarian play Parfumery, 37. All three productions are considered classics for their time, according hmm. to this website that I copied and pasted from. <laughs> nice pull. I did not know about the 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 original original. Ironically, so, I have seen none of the three. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw it. You got me all the way through. Yeah, I, I know. I've seen parts of it. Um, I was bombarded with it quite a bit because that was during that you know period of a few years when I was working at the video store is when you've got mail. Uh, hit VHS. So I was seeing the trailer for that over and over mm. and over and over. Um, and, you know, they, they tried to really lean into the fact that in, in the newer version, um, well, obviously just based on the title, you've got mail, they're, you know, reaching back to uh, the good old AOL, mm-hmm. the, the America online, uh, uh, mail notification, whereas in the original, the shop around the corner, they're, uh, they apparently have somehow become pen pals. So they're actually using the post office and writing letters, you know, like, <laughs> who does that? Um, yeah, it's funny because it was like an update and now it's really dated. <laughs> yeah. Now that if they remade it now, there would be, you know, they would be Snapchatting each other or something like that. <laughs> The title would be TXTME. <laughs> right. <laughs> hmm. I don't know what that means. <laughs> text me. TXTME, text me. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, Chris, what you got? Well, I, I was having a problem because um, I'm, 
I'm, I'm kind of sorry Rick isn't here because I think he'd back me up on this. I think when you become of a certain age, every movie that you see that's a remake, you know it's a remake because you saw the original. But um, I did find a couple that surprised me. The first one I'm going to talk about, um, do you guys remember the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Sure. Like Steve Martin yes. and Michael yes. Caine. Classic comedy. I love that movie. That was actually a remake of a comedy called Bedtime Story from 1964. And it has David Niven and Marlon Brando. Could you imagine Brando in a comedy? <laughs> I mean, I, I think Brando's in a lot of comedies. <laughs> Not intentionally. Unintentionally, yeah. <laughs> All right. But um, now I really am interested in seeing this bedtime story because I thought when I saw Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in the theater like three times, I thought it was hilarious when it came out. And... Um, <laughs> I just I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know how much more I have to say about it, but uh, it was one of the few that surprised me because I think the rest of my list is going to be movies I knew were remakes, but, you know, really liked. I think I, I remember that Dirty Rotten Scandals got made into like a play or a musical or something like that. I didn't realize that it itself was based on something else. That's cool. Okay. Wasn't there a... And I saw the commercial for it, and I remember thinking that it was a that it was a modern update of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Maybe it wasn't because I didn't see the movie. Wasn't that one with with like like a female led cast, like Anne Hathaway and somebody else? Am I making that up? Is it Rebel Wilson uh, and Anne Hathaway? Maybe. Because oh, no. my wife loves that movie. I don't know what it's called, but she watches. She's watched but it is, a lot. Is that it? Is is it a, is it I, a remake maybe, of I, I have Yeah, I I'm not in the room. There, yeah, there is a movie called The Hustle. And it has, uh, it has Anne Hathaway, Rebel Wilson, and Alex Sharp in it, and it is a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It, it looks funny. Female I, just, I haven't seen it. Cast, yeah. I didn't realize that was a remake of that. I haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, I didn't realize that. That's what like this I'm, is all about. <laughs> I feel like I'm winning this show. Right <laughs> <laughs> it's not a game show. <laughs> all right. What's, what's the first one on your list, John? I will play the role of Rick, not in that I'm going to drop an F-bomb, but in that I will back you up, Chris. Uh, I, too, was having trouble finding remakes that I didn't know were remakes. Uh, but I did not know that 12 Monkeys was a remake. Yes, it's it's based on a short French film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. La Jetée? La, La Jetée, yeah. La Jetée. What do you know what that means? I think, like, the jet. 12 Monkeys? <laughs> No, um, it, it's because the end of 12 Monkeys takes place in the airport. And oh, the jet. La is like, like jet or something like that. And I've seen the, I've seen the short. It's, like, it's a unique it's like all, film. All, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You can, yeah. You can it's, it. It, it's all still shots, just, um, superimposed one after the other. And there's only one actual scene of, of footage. And if it's of a, a woman, I guess the Madeline Stowe part is looking to the camera and she opens her eyes, but the, the French film is so surreal and sounds really cool. Yeah. And 12 monkeys is actually my favorite movie of all time. I love that film. Oh. And um, yeah, it's when Terry Gilliam was at the height of his powers and yes. uh, was just really Terry Gilliam still. And I, I loved the way the time travel worked in that. I loved, I loved everything about it. Like I was wrapped when I first saw that film and it's only it's, gotten better. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really good movie. It was, it was, Getting him at the height of his powers, and also part of that 
means knowing to rain, knowing how to rein it in because there's, there's still, uh, he, he doesn't sacrifice the, the plot or the story for the style, which is a trap that he falls into in some of his films. Mm, I'd say especially it, like later ones. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, I was talking about this movie. Actually, I, I think it's on an episode of the game show that hasn't come out yet, but yeah, we're, we're talking about that movie um, there as well. 12 Monkeys. That's a good pull. I forgot all about that. I need mm-hmm. to check that. I, I haven't seen that movie since I, since it came out. I saw it in the theater when it came out and, uh, and I've meant to go back and rewatch it several times and have it done. And then they had the TV show. I never saw that. I was going to say my, my wife really liked the show. I, yeah. I saw maybe one or two episodes of it, but it's not one you can like jump into. Like you, you kind of got to, yeah. yeah. As you might imagine. See, now that's um, funny because I saw the first 20 minutes of the TV show and I really didn't like it. I kind of turned it off and. I have two friends that say it's like the greatest show ever. They love it. So I'm willing to give it a shot, especially since I'm running out of stuff to watch. But um, I just don't want to be disappointed because I love the movie so much. So for me, it's a high bar. You well, know, it doesn't have to compete. Uh, you're right. Just, you're just, right. Good, just, alternate just a retelling of the same story. Yeah. yeah. Different interpretation. But I mean, Brad Pitt was amazing in that movie. Um, Bruce Willis was still acting before he became, you know, just Bruce Willis sleeping yep. through every role. <laughs> And Madeline Stowe was great. You know, David David Morse is in it. He was terrific. Anyway. All right. The first one on my list is uh, Vanilla Sky from 2001. Uh, Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz as a Cameron Crowe movie. And it's a remake of a Spanish film called Open Your Eyes. I mean, it's not called Open Your Eyes. It's called Open Your Eyes and whatever that is in Spanish. (laughs) And I have to admit... I've never seen the Spanish version, but I do know that Penelope Cruz was also in that movie playing the same part. Abierta Los Oros? I don't know. I'll take your word for it. Si, senor. Check my Spanish. (laughs) I don't know what I was really expecting when I saw Vanilla Sky because I was, it was, it was supposed to be like a, a date night rental with my, with my wife one night. I didn't really know what it, was about other than it had Tom Cruise in it and it was, you know, like a romance movie, but this movie kind of was a mind freak, you know, yeah. it, 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 looking at it now, it has some twists that you could probably see coming, but back then it was, it was fresh and I really liked that movie and the, and the vanilla sky from what I've read, the, uh, it follows the original plot pretty closely. It just takes place in New York instead of Madrid. And everybody speaks English. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, um, open your eyes, the Spanish film, and that's what they based uh, Vanilla Sky on. That's the thing. Uh, a lot of movies that are made in America, they'll send them overseas and just dub them or put subtitles on them. But a lot of times they don't do that over here. They just remake the whole movie because American audiences don't want to sit and read the subtitles or don't want to deal with the, with the dubs and stuff, which sometimes watching the original version can be even better, you know? Um, but you know, I think Americans, what are you going to do? Well, (laughs) yes. And I, I think that Americans, I think that more Americans are more tolerant of that than studios give them credit for. I think there are lots of people who wouldn't do that, but I think there's lots of people who would. Well, like most shows that come on TV here, 
when they come out in the UK, they just show our show. But shows in the UK, for the most part, they remake them when they bring them over here. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. for, except for like stuff like Law and Order, because their laws are different, so they have to actually remake the show when they go over there. <laughs> but uh, like but that. also, that also gets into why should I pay them when I can make my own and get all the money? Well, they, yeah, that's, but they, I mean, they have to pay the for the rights to remake it. <laughs> True, but they don't. And a lot make. of times, like if you've ever if you've ever seen the show uh, episodes with Matt LeBlanc, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times they bring the same writers and the same filmmakers and stuff from over there to come over here and work on the remake. Like uh, Ricky Gervais came over and helped get the office started, you know. Um, but anyway, Scott, what's your next one? Uh, the next one, <clears throat> this was a surprise to me. Not not many people uh, might be aware of this one, but the 1986 film The Fly was a remake of The Fly. <laughs> wow. You so don't say. But, what about that white guy from the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty fly. That's nice. pretty fly. Um, oh, but, okay. but for real, the next one I had, uh, this, um, this, this is a twofer. Um, because they they happened two years apart, and it just so happens that um, it's the same actress who appears in both of these films, although the films are not connected. Uh, in in two thousand and one, and I think I think this one was more known as a as a remake than uh, than the other. Uh, but the two thousand and one film O. Starring Mackay Pfeiffer and Julia Stiles, directed, and I didn't know this until uh, until today, uh, directed by Tim Blake Nelson, uh, is a remake of Shakespeare's Othello. Mm-hmm. Um, and two years before that, and I think this one comes as more of a surprise to some people, probably not anyone on this panel. Uh, but the 1999 film Ten Things I Hate About You, starring Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, and Jorson Gordon-Levitt was a remake of Shakespeare's uh, Taming of the Shrew. Mm-hmm. So yeah. apparently right there at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the aughts was when uh, people were really enjoying uh, uh, remaking Shakespeare on film. Oh, yeah. That's when, that's about the same time that they came out with that uh, version well, of Hamlet that, that had, uh, that had uh, Ethan Hawke in it, where it took place in like modern-day New York. And, uh, and then they did in 96 is when they did the Ju- Romeo plus Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. Yeah. Re- um, updating Shakespeare was big business. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the Ethan Hawke Hamlet that was in 2000, which was 10 years after the Mel Gibson Hamlet, um, which in turn was six years before the 1996 Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. Uh, <laughs> and then of course there was, uh, it it falls usually into my top five favorite movies, uh, and certainly my favorite uh, Shakespeare adaptation, which is uh, the nineteen ninety nine film Titus, starring Anthony Hopkins, uh, directed by Julie Taymor, who went on to direct uh, the original uh, Broadway run of The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I I I like her. Uh, I really like her her vision and her directorial style in uh, in Titus, where she allows the time period to just be fluid, 
you'll have uh, you know Roman centurions uh, with uh, you know with shields and gladius, uh, and alongside them you got guys riding motorcycles, and you got people talking into microphones in, in front of big crowds. Uh, people are playing uh, stand-up cabinet arcade games next to a pool table where they drop uh, a bunch of uh, swords and maces and other medieval weapons. You just can't tell when and where the, the film is taking place, uh, which really gives it a nice bombastic feel. But at the same time, I guess it was kind of difficult because rumor has it, I might have said this on, on this program before, um, but Anthony Hopkins' final shot in that film, when they wrapped him and they called cut on on his last scene, he flipped off the camera and quit the business for like a decade. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he wasn't having the most fun on that film, but I really enjoyed the final product. But that's not even what's on my list. My list is, oh, and 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, I only saw 10 Things I Hate About You. I never got around to seeing, oh, but I heard good things about it. Um, and it's as opposed to Romeo plus Juliet, which was a, a direct, um, filming of the script just with a different setting. These, these two films were you know, a, a full rewrite. They're telling the same story, but with, uh, with modern dialogue. Whereas with Romeo plus Juliet, they're using the original Shakespeare dialogue, which I like better. All right, Chris, what you got? I have the the second and only other one that was a surprise to me. One of my favorite movies of all time, A Fistful of Dollars. Turns out to be a remake of a Japanese movie called Yojimbo. And instead of a gunman, it's a ronin. Like a, a ronin with no name wanders into a town and, and, and sits two rival factions against each other. And um, I don't know... If uh, anyone has seen, has anyone, did you guys know this? Did you know that it was a. I did know that. I knew that uh, the uh, Fistful of Dollars got sued for it. Really? Because, yeah, yeah, it was not, they did not, they did not have permission to remake that movie. And it was not that it was just close. I mean, it was basically, you could tell it's a remake. And, uh, and so they uh they sued and they won. What 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 Fistful of Dollars was that Sergio Leone that made that? Uh yeah, I believe yeah. so. And he made Yeah, he made, so that was one of those spaghetti westerns, yeah. Yeah. And to me, like Clint Eastwood as the man with no name is like one of the iconic American cinema images. I mean, he's just it it so to realize now that it was basically a lift from I guess Japanese myth. And but it fits so closely into sort of that that American myth of the lone the lone gunman and sort of the myth of of, of the West. Um, it just it, it's very surprising to me. Now I really want to see the show Jimbo. I hope it's on Amazon or something. There is there are Probably. several several westerns that were based on uh, like samurai films and stuff like that because the uh, uh, Seven Samurai Kurosawa film was made into um the magnificent seven yeah the magnificent seven mm-hmm. there you go which was then and, remade uh, into the magnificent seven yeah, <laughs> yeah. Into washington and a bunch of other people that's i i found a list on <laughs> insider.com of remakes you might not have known were remakes and the first one on the list was the magnificent seven you might not have <laughs> yeah. known that was based on the magnificent seven <laughs> fistful fistful of dollars was and we talked about it a couple weeks ago. There was a film that came out in '96 uh, called 
Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis and uh, Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. and it's pretty much a remake of A Fistful of Dollars. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if they said that, but it, it was, the, it's the same kind of thing, you know. This, this, this drifter comes into town and he ends up uh, fighting back against this established uh, mob that's over this, that's you know pressing down on this town or whatever. So, all right. John, what you got? Angels in the Outfield. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. Apparently based on a 1951 film, Angels in the Outfield. I only knew that because when when it came out in the video store, they put the old one like right next to it. <laughs> mm. okay. oh. I, always, I, I always thought that movie was problematic in a different way. I'm like, so... Angels are cheating. What about the other team? <laughs> are they all those kids bad kids? Like, <laughs> well, you know, all the all, all all the kids when they get ready to play a game, they always pray. Both teams pray, so it's just a contest to see which one God loves more. I guess <laughs> every contest I mean, of sports ball. I'm like, it's one you know, divine hand, whatever. Like luck, you know, maybe this kid trips on a shoelace, you know. Mysterious ways, but no, there's angels who fly up and catch the ball. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's not. <laughs> what's the message? What's the lesson here? That's not. Well, they did a um um they did a sequel to that called Angels in the End Zone, which was, I mean, same thing but football. Oh, good, good, good <laughs> video, yeah, I presume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was straight to video, I believe. Was it the same angels? I don't remember. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I, I have seen Angels in the Outfield. Christopher that was Lord, Christopher right? Lloyd, right? Yeah. yeah. I saw that one, but I don't remember who was in the the next one. I guess I could. I hope it was the same Angels. Peter I hope right they here. just go from sport to sport. Just, just, <laughs> just helping the most pious children. <laughs> Angels in the end zone. Let's see who was in it. Angels it in the had box. Paul... Paul Dooley, Matthew Lawrence, David Gallagher, and Christopher Lloyd was in it. Hey, yeah. Angels on the Links. I guess kids <laughs> aren't really playing that much golf. How much? They don't have a category. It just says sequels. I was wondering if there was. Oh, I mean, wait. I'm sure we know the plot. I'm sure it's the exact same plot except it's football. All right. The next one I've got on my list is The Departed from 2006. Just Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg, Jack Nicholson, Scorsese movie. I've said before that I really like movies about organized crime. I don't, I don't want to be a gangster or anything. <laughs> and I know it glorifies bad people, but I like them and I can't help it. So the departed, I think is a really good movie. And it was, it was based on a film from Hong Kong called internal affairs, uh-huh. but Scorsese Scor- go ahead, Scott infernal affairs. Infernal Affairs, excuse me. I read it wrong when I, either that or there's a typo on the page that I was looking at. But, um, Scorsese took that film's basic premise and then he wrote The Crime Boss to kind of resemble Whitey Bulger and he put some, uh, he put some real life stuff in there too. So it kind of became part remake and a little bit of, bi- of a biopic as well. So, so all of these guys I thought gave pretty good performances. And Chris, I, I know you said that you hate Mark Wahlberg. But um, <laughs> this movie, this movie made him an Academy Award nominated actor. 
Yeah, um, no, I hear you. I hear you. And from what I remember of this movie, it was really good. Uh, somehow, I think our cable went out before the last 20 minutes of the film. So we never saw the end of it. And I've never gone back to it. But I worked, I worked with a guy. <laughs> I worked with a guy who quotes this movie like What's the every movie? week. Huh? The Departed. The Departed. The Departed. All of Jack Nicholson's lines in that movie, he loves them. So he's um, always saying untoward things. I guess that Jack Nicholson said in that film. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I like the movie. I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember any lines. So. Yeah, well, this is a family I'm not a podcast, super fan, so, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't want to hear any of these lines. No, there were there there was talk of a sequel, but Scorsese lost interest. And it's probably because most everybody in the movie died anyway, so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so yeah, there there you go. The the uh the departed based on infernal affairs. Cool. All right. Um Scott, what what you got next? Oh, what do I have next? This one I discovered just recently. I wasn't even aware of it, but um, one of the podcasts that I regularly subscribe to and listen to is um, uh, a Canadian podcast called I Hate It, But I Love It, uh, where it's uh, uh, two very funny women who discuss movies that they, they like and they also really don't like them all at the same time. Um, if anyone's interested, check out the show I Hate It, But I Love It and look up their episode on the Christina Aguilera and Cher vehicle burlesque. <laughs> the movie is awful, but their episode on it is amazing. I, I recommend everyone check it out. Um, they are one of the few podcasts where I will go out of my way to watch a movie that I either haven't seen or haven't seen in a while, just so I can be ready to listen to their discussion about it. And very recently they covered uh, the Born Identity with Matt Damon. Uh, and in looking it up uh, and getting ready to watch it, that's when I was reminded. I think I heard this like 10, 15 years ago. But I was reminded that The Born Identity is, in fact, a remake um, of, if I'm not mistaken, a. will I'll look it up while I'm saying this. If I'm not mistaken, it was a TV movie uh, starring uh, Richard Chamberlain. Hmm. And there we go. Yep, T- TV miniseries uh, starring, yes, indeed, Richard Chamberlain, uh, Jacqueline Smith, Anthony Quayle, and Donald Moffat. Was it called um, The Born Identity? Uh, yes, it was. Hmm. Uh, now, no surprise, I have not seen this particular miniseries, uh, but it was it was an attempt to uh, adapt that original Ludlam novel. Uh, back in 1988, and my assumption, if they were making it as a as a TV miniseries, they either wanted to adapt subsequent books in the same way, or, um, you know, for a miniseries in '88, they might have been trying to kick off a an ongoing television series that probably would have uh, covered um, the subsequent stories. Uh, so if, if anyone, uh, if anyone listening or if anyone here on the panel has uh, ever seen or heard of this, this miniseries, um, I'd be interested to get someone's take on it. And if I can track it down, I might just watch it myself because, uh, I was reminded after watching the Matt Damon film, how you know, it's, it's really not a bad film. Uh, oh, the, good. The, the Born Identity? The, yeah, The Born Identity. I, re- I really it's enjoyed it. And, uh, if I remember correctly, I, I don't think I've seen the sequels since the last time I saw the original. 
Um, but I, I remember liking the sequels even more than, than the first one. Um, so I, I like the I, first one the most, but I like, I like the sequels as well. I don't, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I only saw the first, yeah. I definitely I saw the first two and I think I saw the third, but I don't, I never I saw the that. one with Jeremy Renner in it. That's the only no, one that I think I haven't <laughs> seen. I, um, I love Matt Damon. Uh, he's a real draw for me, but I am so bored when I watch those born movies. I just don't like them. The only one I liked was the one with Jeremy Renner. <laughs> that's that would be uh, uh the born legacy that's yes. the, the, yes. the fourth one in the series and, and speaking of matt damon <clears throat> i know this isn't a remake but uh i just saw him in downsizing uh just oh. j- just the other night i hadn't seen that before yeah i uh, saw it when it came out uh i've been meaning to watch it any, any good yeah. or it's 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 really interesting um I, I would, I would, I recommend find a trailer for it. One of the, um, one of the trailers that, that ran like before. Well, oh, I've seen the trailers. That's why I was interested in seeing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so think of the trailer and then expect the movie to really not be like what the trailer presents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it, it goes down a road that you don't expect it to go down. It, it starts. Sure. It starts out the way you would expect it to start out after seeing that trailer, mm. but it takes a really sharp divergence okay. not long into the film, and it turns into kind of a message movie as well. You know, Pleasantville yeah. vibes. If Pleasantville was more depressing, <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> that. I got to the end of the movie not be, being unsure how I was supposed to feel. Well, that's it's, good because you're it, still thinking that kind of. Yeah, it's that kind of a movie. So, you know, thumbs up to it for that. We went to see it in the theater and, uh, it was, I mean, it was before COVID when people were, were still going to the theater and, and, um, and it was, we still had that. We had like a subscription to the A class for AMC and everything. So we were going to the movies a lot. And I remember leaving the theater and I liked it. It, like you said, it wasn't what I expected, but I liked it. My wife did not. And I went in the men's room after, and I remember hearing guys in there bitching about it. And like, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like a science fiction movie. I was like, well, it was, but <laughs> it made you, it like, are you just mad because it required you to think? Exactly. Yeah. What you mean? They use, they use science fiction as as a way to talk about current and contemporary issues. That's never been done before. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris. What what, what you got? I'm going to go with a comedy that uh, remains on in my house whenever it comes on. I knew it was a remake, but it is one of the funniest movies ever made. The Birdcage with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane Mm -hmm. is a remake of uh, the French film or play. I'm not even sure. I've never seen the film La Caja Fall. Both. Okay. All right. So I'm pretty sure both. I I know it was a play. I believe it was a film as well. Yeah, it was a film. I know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, it's it's funny how how well that movie holds up upon repeated viewings because you know all the jokes but they are just still hilarious. Like everything about it is so good. So um I I doubt very much that anybody listening did not know that it was a remake, but like I said I'm at the part of my list now where I knew all these were remake, remakes, so you probably will too. The fly is on my list, by the way, Scott. I didn't know. I mean, it, it, it fits in the the fact that I didn't know it was a remake when I saw it. Mm-hmm. I went to see it at the theater, and uh, 
I didn't know until I was talking to somebody about the film like a couple weeks later. Oh yeah, that was a remake of a movie that we watch all the time. I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah. Now well, the, you talked about right. um, John when you were talking about Terry Gilliam knowing when not to do something, knowing when to rein in, rein it in stylistically. I feel like this was Robin Williams' um, triumph in that. Like he was not yeah, being crazy. Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't. He wasn't his zany Mork self. He he was really great. And I guess that's also because Nathan Lane is so flamboyant in the film that you needed some some kind of juxtaposition, something to press against, you know? Yeah, so, and also he's not he's not bouncing around between characters. Mm-hmm. He's just the one character, so mm-hmm. he can you know really act the part. You don't right. often see Robin Williams playing the proverbial straight man <laughs> to someone else's zany character. I was about to say the same thing, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say he's a straight man, but it doesn't fit. <laughs> I started the sentence before I realized where it was going, and I knew I had to... <laughs> <laughs> I had to catch somehow. This is definitely one that uh, um, I think Rick and I would probably be uh, uh, in step with. Uh, as as theater people, uh, we're probably more familiar than than many with uh, with the Birdcage being based on the the French play La Cage Faux. That is, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, like for example, a community theater or a local theater stage a production of the bird cage. That's the American film remake of it. But an American stage performance is always going to be the Kaj mm-hmm. rather than, than the bird cage. And I don't know what the differences are, but that French title always remains in, in any stage production that I've ever heard of. Yeah. And the the studio didn't probably didn't think that they could get American audiences to come out to something that had a French title, <laughs> so we got to rename it. But John, what what you got? What's what's your next one? I feel like I might have known that these were remakes and then forgot, so it's new to me. Um, True Lies ninety four Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm my list too. I did not know. Uh, apparently the remake of a French comedy film. I don't think all of mine are French films, but significant <laughs> number, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's only like the, the original La Total was made in 91. So the, the film was only three years old when they remade it. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be curious to see. I guess probably all of these that are, that are on my list, I'd be curious to see what the original looks like, how the original works. I can totally see True Lies as a comedy. There's a lot of comedy in the Schwarzenegger version. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they That's got why the they same. put Tom Arnold in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, have, have, have any of you seen the, the French version? Mm-mm. No. I, I only uh, learned about it uh, earlier today when, when I was researching for this. Mm-hmm. But uh, while you were talking, I brought up the the Wikipedia page for the uh, for the original movie. And <laughs> the the poster is not as stylized as the poster for True Lies, but I, it you can tell just at a glance, oh, this is a funny movie. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> never mind. Never mind the French version. I haven't seen the American version, so I know it's really? a French film. I know, but I haven't seen it. I know why. Yeah. I know. No, you can skip it. 
Oh, I wasn't planning <laughs> to go watch it. <laughs> yeah. And now the, oh, the other Schwarzenegger man. film on my list, Total Recall, I presume you have seen. Uh, in the have... theater, hello. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> that one I would I would have I would have directed you to those shores I've, had you not. Encountered. I've seen every Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> uh, I wasn't talking to you, Sean. <laughs> That's a given. That's a given. I saw True Lies in the theater, and you know I I thought it was good. At this point, in the theater. at this point, you know it's a '90s Schwarzenegger action comedy. So you know, Chris, if you happen to stumble across it and you have a spare couple hours, then you could see you you could find worse things to watch. But you don't necessarily have to go out of your way for it. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say, if you stumble across it, uh, regain your balance and keep walking. <laughs> oh my Man. god! No, you're breaking my heart. No, no, it's not. It's not. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's an okay movie. I think Chris would really not like this movie. It's like there's you want to talk about doesn't age well and problematic. Okay. (laughs) As far as that goes, plot wise, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. But at the same time, it's hard to warn someone away from 1994 Tia Carrera. Oh, wow. Tia Carrera's in it? Yeah. It's a mid-90s it's a mid action movie, but it's one of those action movies, like Schwarzenegger was making a lot of action movies at the time that really played with the action movie tropes. Like, we're going to do the action mm-hmm. movie tropes, and we know that you know these are the tropes, mm-hmm. and we're just going to hit all the marks, and you're just going to have fun watching it and eat your popcorn and shut up about it. See, that's, that's the last action hero. That's what the last action hero is for. That was, yeah. I was yeah, going to should I watch that one? Because that's oh, the one. That, I love that movie. After, after a certain age, I just didn't like dumb action movies anymore. So that that's what is, you know? To, to, to echo what Sean was saying, that one is fully aware of the tropes. I mean, it, like, it is, it goes more than breaks the fourth wall. It pulls you into the third wall. Like, it, it's, it is completely aware that it is a movie. Right. That is the plot. That is the word that it's a movie. You, you could you could retitle the film Fourth Wall Break. Yeah. <clears throat> what's what's the Schwarzenegger film with Alyssa Milano? Um, he's driving Commando. around in a white converted Commando. Commando. Yeah. I think that might have been the last Schwarzenegger. To the job boss. That is not, that is not a good example of the. <laughs> but I mean that's but that's see in my mind I, that's what those were. I could absolutely see that being the last one you watched. I w- I would say that they have. Kindergarten Cop. No Kindergarten Cop. I saw it to kindergarten, but that was more of a comedy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, yeah, I, I like I don't I don't mind Schwarzenegger. I think he's okay. Uh, some brothers or twins rather with Danny DeVito. Oh. I saw that mm-hmm. kindergarten cop is it's not the Tuma, you know. He not the Tuma. <laughs> you know they made a sequel to that. Oh yeah, kindergarten cop two with uh, uh, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it's an odd choice. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's an odd choice. There's no connection to the first film. It's essentially just a, a rehash of the of the first one with many of the same gags, taking a few swipes at uh, modern uh, elementary schools, and modern kindergarten. Um, and How you, old you is can, that movie? When did that movie come out? Um, oh, two or three years ago. Not not very long ago. No, no, the, the new one. The, yeah, two or three years ago. The new one? Heard of it's, it. um, here we go. I've... I've got to pull the side oh, here. All the actors. Obviously, I have it. Why would you get one? Well, okay, whatever. 
they probably had him under contract for like another Expendables movie, and then they didn't make it, so they just said, "Well, we, we got to put him in something." <laughs> well, re- remember, it's Dolph Lundgren. If it's uh, direct to video, you know he's he's always on call. He's on speed dial for the direct to video people. Um, this was in 2016. Okay, so like like five years ago, yeah. Yeah, and doesn't Dolph Lundgren like have like a master's degree in microbiology or something? Oh, he's, he's got like, like a PhD. He's like Mo- wicked smart. <laughs> molecular biology, but yes, yeah, he's smart uh, enough to take the easy straight to video money. Is yeah. how smart he is. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so some people may think it's a, it's an odd choice to to put him in that movie. I think it's more of an odd choice for uh, him to get paired up with the the female romantic lead of that film when she is, and I did the math literally less than half his age. Who's it's very, it's, who is she? Uh, I think Sarah strange, I think. Oh, okay. So it's no one. I've her name. Uh, no, she isn't. She is not a known person, but uh, when I watched the movie, I thought it seems like an odd matchup because here they are at the end of the movie making out and that, no, it doesn't He's work. He's got to be like in his sixties, right? Uh, yeah, it's he's late fifties or early sixties, somewhere in there, and she was like early twenties when when the film was getting made. I think may, maybe late twenties, but still, it was it was disturbing. Regardless, well, I, I, I mean that's a like that's it. a that's kind of a a movie thing though. They they never pair a sixty year old guy with a sixty year old you woman. Know, I, and, and I don't I don't like it in any movies. But since yeah. we're talking about Kindergarten Cop two, then I mentioned that that's one of the things. Yeah. See, yeah, I, don't feel yes. like, I feel like they've actually backed off of that, or, or rather, they. It happens a lot more now, where they at least try to get in the ballpark. Yeah, you know, at least you know, 10, within ten years, yeah, yeah, within ten twenty years. Left, like longer is sixty three. Mm. Yeah, the, like it. There were news outlets that were making a big deal of the fact that Inspector Monica Bellucci was a Bond girl in that film. She was like, she, oh, she's the oldest Bond girl ever. Well, you don't have to call her an old woman. She's Monica <laughs> Bellucci. She's still gorgeous, and she just happens to be not in her 20s. And if we, but if they focus on the fact that she's the oldest Bond girl, then they don't have to focus on the fact that if you watch the movie, it, it's really disturbing how he goes about getting her in bed. Like it's, uh, you yeah. want to talk about hashtag problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any kind of bond movie. Really? Uh, he, Pretty much. he, he picked her up at her husband's funeral and then bedded her immediately after foiling an, an attempt on her life. Sounds about it's, right. <laughs> you owe me gross. <laughs> 2006 had a movie called The Lake House with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And it was based on a Korean film called Il Mare. I think that's how you say that. Il Mare. I don't know. Um, but have you guys ever seen The Lake House? No. I'm, yes. It's a, it's a romantic drama, right? It's not even a comedy. Yeah. It's, 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 a, a, it's, a it's kind of a, it's got it's a, a little time, 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 time travel. Right? Yeah. yeah. Time travel romance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of time travel. They Trump time travel for me. <laughs> so they write letters to well, each other yeah. and they put the letter in the mailbox and then the mailbox and then the mailbox delivers it to the other one in another time. So one of them lives in 2004, the other one's in 2006, but they're living in the same house. 
So it's like it's like frequency with snail mail. Yeah. Um, When they put the letter in, they put the flag up and then they can stand there and watch the mailbox and the flag will go down by itself. And that's how they know that the other one got the got the letter. It's magic. uh, Yeah. Not really sci-fi. It's magic, I guess. I mean, it's a good day movie. They don't really explain it very much. It's okay. Because that's not the point of it, though. It's like it's like the point is like the love and the romance (laughs) Is this a new character you're, you're trying to? I don't know, man. Sometimes I just talk shit. I gotta. Like, well, it's, it's funny magic. because you gotta like, have explanations for things. It's Sometimes. a romance, but the uh, the characters yeah. are not <laughs> unscripted together through like ninety nine percent of the movie. But they have pretty good chemistry together, which we know because we've seen Speed. You know, Sandra Bullock and actually, Keanu Reeves have chemistry together. So. Actually, I, I liked the movie. I thought it was. It was, it was cute. It, it is a romance. There's no, you know, it's not particularly funny, but it's, it's, a, it's a decent movie. And they pay homage to the original because there's a scene where um, they're supposed to meet at a cafe and the meet doesn't happen, but the cafe is named Il Mare. Hmm. So That's a nice little nod. Scott, you got another one? Uh, I do. I, I got, uh, I got thrown off by that, uh, uh, Lake House one because I thought that was like a Nicholas Sparks uh, adaptation, but I think I'm I'm thinking of the wrong Keanu Reeves film. Uh, again, might be a, a somewhat known quantity, but uh, it took me a while to realize that uh, the Nick Nolte and Robert De Niro Cape Fear was actually a remake. Of, yeah, um, I think it's Robert Mitchum mm-hmm. and He's in both films. Right, and uh, I think Burt Lancaster is in the original. Yeah, it's funny because I've seen the original and I've never seen the one with De Niro in it. <laughs> not to uh, not to touch on a theme, but talk about a creepy relationship between an older man and a younger woman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. but but it's intended. It's intentionally it's intent, everything that he he's, he's supposed to be. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Yes, so it, it's, <laughs> they're not trying to. Uh, Passed it off like it's all okay, <laughs> like 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 there's no problem with it. It's it is, uh, yeah. It's yeah. it's intended to definitely be a big problem. Yes, yeah. And the threat the threat factor is like ramped up to eleven there because <laughs> you you can't tell what this guy is capable of. He's apparently capable of anything. Um, two things I remember most about that movie is the very beginning when you have the obvious body double doing like the, the exercises in the jail cell with all of the, you know, and then they, you know, cut I thought the that was him at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was sold. I was like, good. I was like, I was suspending was the so... belief. I was like, well, Robert De Niro really gets into his role. I can totally, totally believe him getting jacked for this. For this. Yeah. Look, look, look at raging bull. Just going nuts on that. Sure. Show. All right. Who was next? I'm, trying to decide which I knew both of these were remakes. Do I go with my lecherous side or do I go with um, my my funny side? I think I'm going to go lecherous. Um, there was a great movie always, in the always a good choice. called Cat People. And uh, it starred Natasha, Natasha Kinski mm-hmm. and forget her, Annette, uh, Annette O'Toole was uh. in the film. And um, I watched that movie over and over and over, <laughs> but it's actually a decent film. Um, what, what film? 
Cat People. It's uh, mm-hmm. a remake from a 1942 film. And there is one segment in that film that I had to turn away every time. It's um, it's basically like they 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 wore they they're like wear cats. They turn into cats and then they come back. And and um, Malcolm McDowell's in it. And there's a scene where I guess he he turns back into a human and got like this disgusting crap all over his face and he like picks it off his cheek and eats it. It is the most vile thing I've ever seen on film. <laughs> and I find Malcolm McDowell off putting as it is. So I mean, <laughs> and he always takes such weird roles, but this one is, is crazy. But um, if you haven't seen Cat People, aside from the more lewd aspects that are, that I'm alluding to here, um, it's 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 pretty decent. And I haven't seen it in years. I don't know how well it would hold up, but uh, it's a well-made film. I don't know if it was a big hit. I don't know if it was a flop. Um, have have um, any of you guys I seen it, it? I think it. I don't think it was a flop. I mean, I'm no, you know. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, and it got it's got a on Rotten Tomatoes at sixty percent. So, okay. Well, um, um, I'd recommend it for fans of a Netto tool alone. You know, they'll watch the rest of the movie. Moving on. Scent of a Woman came out in 1992. Hoo-ah. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever heard somebody do an Al Pacino impression, they always go, hoo And that, this is the movie that that came from. Um, I'm just getting warmed up. And Al Pacino and Chris O'Donnell. And it's based on an Italian film from 1974 called Profuma di Donna. Scent of a Woman. And, uh, yeah. And I've always liked this movie. I think the first time that I saw it, it came out in 92. So I was 15 when it came out. It was back when network television used to still show movies on Sunday nights, you know, instead of reality television. Hmm. And, um, and that's the first place I saw it was like on TV. I think it was the first Al Pacino movie that I remember ever seeing, which I mean, I was 15, so I wasn't well-versed in a lot of movies yet anyway. So uh, I think this was the first time that I had seen Al Pacino in anything that I like sat down and watched that movie, but it's, uh, it's a good movie. It's a, it's a Al Pacino is like this grizzled old uh, military guy and he's blind and he hires Chris O'Donnell to, he wants to have one last weekend before he kills himself <laughs> and then hijinks ensue. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's based on an Italian film that I've never seen. And that's all I have to say about it. But I will throw in my, my, my last one on my list is the upside from 2019 mm. with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston, uh, based on a 2011 French film called the untouchables. And I saw a trailer for The Untouchables before uh, The Upside came out, and I thought about watching it, but I didn't. I I, I, I chose something else because it looked it looked like a good movie. And then I I watched The Upside when it came out, and I think Kevin Hart. You can say what you want. I like his comedy. He's funny. I like the films that he came out with when he first started making films. You know, he's making a lot of comedy films and stuff, but he's made a couple of movies where he actually has to do some acting and it does a pretty good job. You know, he made this, there's one on Netflix right now called fatherhood. He's really good in that. I've heard of it. Yeah. It's really good because he, he, he can walk that line. He can do a scene where he's just hilarious. And then the next scene can be like this 
heart touching uh, scene and everything, and it's and it's great. He does a good job. But this movie is about Brian Cranston plays this paraplegic billionaire. He hires Kevin Hart to be his caretaker. Kevin Hart is like he just got out of jail on parole, and this is he's looking for a job. He finds this job. It's paying a lot of money to do what he thinks is going to be easy. It's not easy. Being a caretaker for a paraplegic is not an easy job. Um, but they kind of form, they end up forming this bond, you know, and, and this friendship together. And it's a really, it's a really good movie. I, I recommend it. So could this be considered a remake of Driving Miss Daisy? No, I don't think so. Let's hope not. <laughs> I don't think because, because, because Driving Miss Daisy had a lot of the, the, overtones of racism and stuff. And I don't remember, I don't remember this movie having a lot of that in it. I mean, ra- racism, I don't remember that playing into it. Driving Miss Daisy is like, yeah, an, well, like Annabelle in the South <laughs> in the, yeah. in the fifties kind of. Yeah. yeah. All right, Scott, you got any more? I think I got one more. Um, aside from, seeing on insider.com that in addition to the Magnificent Seven, they were also listing the 2016 version of Ben-Hur and the 2005 War of the Worlds as though people didn't know those were remakes. <laughs> Putting those aside, um, I I went down a bit of a rabbit hole uh, several weeks ago when I was uh, l- looking up and revisiting the talented Mr. Ripley with uh, Matt Damon, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, and the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, didn't realize that uh, the talented Mr. Ripley is, I want to say, the second time that that novel has been uh, remade in film. I think there were two film versions uh, beforehand. Uh, the original film of Talented Mr. Ripley was uh, Purple Noon. And not only that, but I realized that uh, there have been two films made that are uh, further installments of the um, of the Tom Ripley story. Uh, one of them is Ripley's Game, starring John Malkovich as as Tom yeah. Ripley as as uh, Matt Damon's character, and another which came out I think came out in between Talented Mr. Ripley. And Ripley's game called Rip, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Ripley. I want to say it's Ripley Underground. Let me double check my library here. Uh, yeah, Ripley Underground, which, nope, that was my mistake. That was in 2005, which is three years after Ripley's game, uh, with yet again another recasting with Barry Pepper as Tom Ripley. Um, and I haven't gotten around to watching that one yet. And, uh, I am a fan of Barry Pepper, so I, I do want to see how uh, how he does with, with that role. Um, there are, I want to say, four, maybe five novels in the Tom Ripley series, and uh, a few of them have already been made into films, and some of them more than once. So that one, I didn't have time to go back and lay out the whole grid, the whole spreadsheet of remakes, but um, <laughs> uh, the, the Talented Mr. Ripley is just one of them. So if anyone's interested, look up, uh, and you can find all this cross-referencing on the Wikipedia page. If you look up the page for the Tom Ripley book series, 
it'll tell you all the film adaptations mm-hmm. of all the various books in the series. If, if, if people want to really dig in and see all the different film versions of the character, uh, which I found the character to be very compelling in the talent of Mr. Ripley. And I'm, I'm looking forward to making time to see the other two. Yeah. I remember seeing, I think I saw it in the theater. Yeah. I didn't know at the time that it had already been made into anything, but I do, I did like that movie. Chris, you got any more? Well, I have three really obvious ones, but they also happen to be three of my favorite movies. Um, number one, of course, John Carpenter's The Thing is a remake from The Thing from Another World or Another Planet from the 30s. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 70s version with Donald Sutherland. Um, mm. That's a remake, but I, I really love that movie. And, um, of course, Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. With uh, with Clooney mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt, and that's such a I, even. I I love Ocean's Eleven. I'm not too great on Ocean's Twelve, but Ocean's Thirteen I think is just as good as Ocean's Eleven. So uh, those were the last that that rounded out my list. I know everybody knows that those are remakes, though. So have you ever seen? Have any of you guys ever seen the original Ocean's Eleven, the, Saint, the mm-hmm. Sinatra movie? I. Yeah. I saw like a little bit of it and it was on Turner one night and I caught it really late. But uh, was it any good, John? Because I didn't really stick with it. It seemed like it takes place on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I've seen uh, it. It, it. It's, it's, it's good for. Uh, okay, so these Rat Pack movies, it, I, I thought it was weird that the, it, there wasn't a lot of. There was only one song in it. <laughs> I expected it. I expected it to be a musical. <laughs> 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 who burst out into song? Who was singing? Sammy Davis Jr. sang okay. a song, uh, and uh, but funny. everybody else pretty much plays it straight. But at the, at the time that I had seen it, I had never really gone and watched a lot of uh, Sinatra movies, so I thought I thought that his movies would be like Elvis movies. You know, Elvis was singing and dancing in all his movies. You know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, Sinatra, uh, actually, one of my uh, favorite movies is, is the the uh, the detective with Sinatra that I watched because I was watching all the I was following a retrospective on now playing and they were watching all the Die Hard movies and they went back and watched the detective, yep. uh, which I mean there's a whole backstory as to why that's included in that but uh, but yeah I mean Sinatra made some pretty good movies and Ocean's Eleven is is pretty decent I liked it cool cool so yeah nice that's- ending. Good ending. Ocean's Eight, the awful. the Sandra Bullock one. Awful. It wasn't awful. It wasn't yeah. awful. It was it was all right. Hey, you have to, I, you have to, you have to go in knowing. All right, they're gonna they're gonna put out some line in this movie that's gonna explain why the guys aren't in it and all this kind of stuff. So here, then here. coming out, Sandra Bullock saying, "Oh yeah, he's dead." I didn't believe her for one thing. If they, I mean, I'm sure they'll make another Ocean's movie at some point and they'll turn out that he faked his death or something. Well, like I think they were setting it up to do like eight, nine, and ten. Yeah, they, they with, de- with the females. Yeah, definitely setting it up for for a prequel. Maybe not a prequel, but a trilogy, a separate trilogy. I didn't have a problem with it being. Uh, here was my issue with Ocean's Eight. It wasn't about them being women. I'm fine with that. Encourage it, in fact. My issue was there was no, I won't say risk. So the, so the movie opens up, it, it lets you know that she's been in jail and she has been planning the perfect heist for however long she's been in jail, 10 years, whatever. She has thought of every aspect of this, everything 
every factor, every person, nothing has not been taken into account. And spoiler goes off perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's like, no, no nothing, at least in the other Oceans movies, it seems like something's not going according to plan, but it turns out all oh, that was part of the plan. Right. Which right. I, at this point, you kind of expect that, fine. But it wasn't even that. It's like, I've got the perfect plan. And then she executes the perfect plan. Well, yeah, great. It wasn't, think- there was no, yeah, it, 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 I kept waiting for, something unexpected to happen. And I guess it was unexpected in the fact that I didn't know what the plan was, but I kind of did. Like, I mean, I knew enough of it based on, like they said what the plan, what they were going to do. And then they did it. So <laughs> what, what annoyed me about right. the movie? I mean, there, there are two things that annoyed me about the movie. Um, number one is they had Kate Blanchett and uh, Sandra Bullock trying to sort of recreate the same chemistry that Pitt and Clooney had in the yeah. sense that they'd speak yeah. to each other in like sentence fragments and they, you know, it, 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 and it annoyed me that a lot of her baggage backstory was talking about an ex-boyfriend. I didn't like that. And I was so aggravated for both of them and for women in general, how Sandra Bullock is not allowed to have one fucking line on her face at all. She looked like a mannequin and Kate Blanchett with the, with the cheek implants. And I just feel so bad that, you know, they, they can't be human beings anymore in Hollywood. It's just, it's, it's crazy. The amount of work that these poor women have to get done and yeah. just to work, yeah. you know? So I, I found that so super distracting. Anyway, that's been a thing for a long time because and, and women, women, they get it bad from both ways, because if they don't do that, then they don't get the roles that they want to play. No, and no, they, and right. they get kind of they get kind of nudged out of Hollywood. But if they do it, then in 20 years, people start talking about, oh, look how fake she looks. Look how plastic she is. She's had too much work done. Look at her eyes, all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. And I'm not saying that, like, against Sandra Bullock. I know she knows her industry and she's an accomplished professional and, you know, she's very successful and she's a good actress. But it just, it just made me a little bit, uh, uh, it took me out of the movie. That's all. I mean, I liked <laughs> Irons a lot. <laughs> I liked Mindy, Mindy Kaling in it the best, but I love her. I think she's great in everything. So. Yeah. I thought, I thought the acting was good. I thought, the, I, I didn't even really have a problem with the writing. Like, there wasn't anything wrong to me with the production of the film. I thought it was I think everyone did a good job. I just didn't like that their plot had no tension. Mm-hmm. Even Aquafina was in that movie, right? She was. Yes. I love Aquafina. <laughs> I think every everything that she's in she makes better. I think I've only seen mm-hmm. her in this. She is. I've never even heard of her. She's she's hilarious. Yeah, she's hilarious. I think I think I've only seen her in Shang Chi when that comes out. (laughs) Crazy Rich Asians. What you didn't? I mean, she was the the new Jumanji movie. I haven't seen that that yet. I really want to see. Yeah, Crazy Rich Asians. She was in. What was that that Disney movie about the dragon? The Disney movie about the dragon. Yeah, Raya. She's in that. Oh, right. I have. I have that. Haven't watched it yet. Um, and also, I've I've haven't seen a single Ocean's movie. Really, I'm we sorry. abandoned our we abandoned our topic about fifteen minutes ago. So let's go ahead and uh, close this one out. I want to. Okay, so Patreon. If you're not a patron, 
then what are you waiting for? Uh, we have levels beginning at $3 per month. Then you get stuff like early access to episodes. You get special episodes that we record each month. I think we're going to record one either this week or next week. Yeah, we have a new patron uh, coming in this week at the $10 level. Dale Goodall joins us at that level, and he gets added to our list of producers that get thanked in every episode. I also want to thank Tom Corcoran, Bullet Bingal, Jeff Hughes, and Brandon Ushio for helping to bring you this episode. And uh, come on over to patreon.com slash infinite potato to find out more. I also want to thank my panel for joining me on mic tonight. Scott, thank you very much for being here. Let everybody know where they can find you. Uh, people can find me various places here on the Infinite Potato Alliance podcast network. Uh, this mm-hmm. podcast, uh, that Star Trek podcast, occasionally on Captain Game Show. Um, not as much as I would like, and that's my fault. I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry that I work nights. It's a big hassle. Fine. Um, <laughs> Make that money, bitch. <laughs> Sorry. In, in, in addition to hearing me on, I didn't podcast, mean to call you a bitch. That's just the character. Oh yeah, that's how he talks. I'm, I'm good with it. Um, in addition to hearing me on podcasts, if you would like to see some of the work that I do, you can find my graphic artwork on my website www.planetrisecreative.com, or check out my uh, Twitter at Planet Rise. Uh, both of them are a little bit behind in updates, but there's still some artwork there if you want to see it. Um, always taking commissions, so if anyone needs a, a social media avatar or a background or a banner uh, or a poster of some type, reach out. Let me know. We'll think of something. All right. John, what about you? Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me also on sprinkled about liberally on various shows on the Infinite Potato Alliance, like this one and uh the Star Trek, that Star Trek show. Um, but my show is Captain Game Show. It is a game show. I am the captain. It's a trivia wordplay, pop culture, uh, fun fest, three rounds of games, one round of improv. Uh, everyone here is, uh, has been on and, uh, has performed admirably in the face of, um, Let's call it adversity. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had as much fun losing as I have on your show. That's what I'm going for. All the places you would expect to find a podcast, you can probably find my podcast. Also, uh, contactable via Twitter, Instagram, and, of course, Facebook. Thank you for having me on, Sean. (laughs) You're the (laughs) (laughs) co-host. Oh, right. <laughs> Chris. Chris, let everybody know where they can find I am a host of the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can find us at quantumleappodcast.com. And um, you can also check out my personal website. It's uh, deflipside.com. That's D-E-F-L-I-P-S-I-D-E.com, where I do dumb radio essays, and there's a book for sale, and, you know, other stuff, so you can check that out too. Alrighty. Uh, if you want to contact us, let us know what you thought of this episode or give us suggestions for future ones, then stay tuned. And Brock will give you that information in just a few minutes. John, his name is Brock. 
<laughs> I've never met him. I'm sorry. <laughs> be, be sure to join us next time on that Super Fan Talk podcast when you might hear John say, You will definitely not hear me say this next time. <laughs> Chris, congratulations. You are the winner of the hidden game. Woo! I finally won Captain Game Show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Fredo's going to leave without giving you a goodbye kiss. Help the show grow by leaving us a five-star rating and a review. That's the worst goodbye I've ever heard. And you stole it from a movie. Be sure to join us again soon on That Super Fan Talk Podcast, brought to you by InfinitePotato.com. Goodbye. Oh, speaking of getting jacked, has anyone seen, did anyone watch The Tomorrow War? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Really good. <laughs> um, I, I saw it, uh, I think I heard you guys talking about it on the last show, too. So is is it worth it? Yes. But it's it's Marky Mark, right? No, no. Okay, good. No, that's Infinity. That's okay. the one you should not that's see. In one. fact, two a few hours ago, someone on Facebook was like, "Hey, uh, I was gonna watch Infinity," and I was like, "No." And a couple <laughs> other people were like, "No," I was like, "Don't do it. Watch tomorrow. Watch the Tomorrow War instead. Watch the, that. And not watch Infinity. The, the and, Infinite is not even worth just a um, uh, shut your brain off for an hour and no. a half." No, Just I mean, watch, no? if you can really shut your brain off, sure. Things blow up. Dude, my podcast is going to be called <laughs> I Watch That for a Dollar. You think I can't turn my brain off? <laughs> I am not going to say I didn't warn you. All right. All right, all right. It's, and here's the thing. It's it's one thing because I, I'm I'm fairly good at that, too. Like. Like I like I can literally like there's like a knob I can adjust. Uh, oh, okay, this this isn't that. This is gonna be this. And I can turn it down. Okay, this is gonna be this. You can turn it down. Like I'm, I want to enjoy the film. Like that's why I'm watching it. I want to have a pleasurable experience. But that is hard to do. I am much more likely to have a good time watching a crappy movie where they really tried. I'm totally down for that. Like if, if, if your, if your set is like clearly cardboard cutouts and your action scenes, your stuff, people aren't touching each other, but you're, but you're into it. Fine. I'm, I'm there. So we should have you watch Bays with blades. Yes. (laughs) But this movie has no excuse. They have decent actors. They had a hell of budget, apparently. They had a good director. And the script, the plot, the problems with the plot would have been solved, could have been solved, with a few lines of dialogue. Why did they do that? Well, they and they give some stupid reason, when this reason would have made much more sense. Mm-hmm. And it would have, it, literally, if I, if I could go in and ADR, I would raise... <laughs> The Rotten Tomato score of that film by three points. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Rotten Tomato score of that film? Let me look. I just want to check. 
because I, I tried to watch it. I did watch it, but I fell asleep halfway through it and had to go back and <laughs> catch up on it. Let me see. Infi- Infinity. Uh, that's a 1996 movie. Wait a minute. That's the, the Infinite. Oh, The Infinite. Okay. That makes more sense. There, there, there might not be a the. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's just Infinite. You're right. One star. One star. Huh? 16, 16% tomato meter. Audience score 37. Yikes. So, yeah. How about the Rick and Morty send-off on Ocean's movies? <laughs> son of a bitch. You want, you want to appreciate you it. Son of a bitch. I'm in. I mean. <laughs> yeah. It depends on what season. I've only, I'm, I'm only up through season three on Rick and Morty. Oh, uh, it's a season it's, four episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think if I missed season four. Yeah. So. Season five just started a few, a couple weeks ago, and so far, aces. Yeah, I think. Every time. I think, it's, yeah. It's great. It's been pretty good. It's, it's almost. <laughs> like, so I watch it on the Cartoon Network app. Yeah, and, I do. And, and after the show, they do, like, the little, you know, they talk to the creators of the show about, you know, this episode. I, yeah, yeah. They're doing that on Adult Swim as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, but I'm sorry. Yes, the Adult Swim app. Um, and you can tell that they're just kind of, they're pushing themselves to like, you know, how, not even how crazy can I make it? Like, what is the nature of storytelling? Like how far can, like, there's, they're going to drive themselves insane is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, they're, <laughs> how, but like they, you know, they went meta in season one. Like now they're mm-hmm. like four steps beyond meta. Yeah. They're in the meta of storytelling meta. I mean, they, the, the whole train episode was just a meta take on the storytelling. It's like, how do you go beyond yes. that? <laughs> yes. And now they are. <laughs> it, like, it seems... like every, every, everyone else behind the scenes is like, yeah. We just, well, the, the, the one episode from this over. season where they, uh, where they're doing the, they have the clone family, they have the decoy family. Yes. And, uh, and at first, when I first started watching it, I thought that they were going to do like the shell game thing where you have to keep up. All right. I'm going to keep up with which one's the real one. By the end of it, yeah, no, they don't yeah, even. Know. They threw that yeah, out the window. Yeah, I don't know which one's the real one, and I'm I think sure the real ones—they're gone. We're watching think, some some I, other one now. <laughs> I think that's kind of it's, it's kind of the the inevitable conclusion once you realize that there are infinite versions of these people, mm-hmm. and they kind of kill them anyway. Like even if they weren't clones, they've got you know you know umpteen. Kajillion universe is worth of them, and they they trade them all the time. Like we, <laughs> like like there are episodes where they, you're pretty sure they leave the other Jerry at the guy that like they just nah whatever good enough close enough. No, yeah, I mean the original Jerry, Beth, and Summer are on the on the Rick Potion Number Nine planet, where yes. that was one of the best episodes in the early because it really did have ramifications and death and. You know, now they just play with that. It's so fluid on the show. It kind of takes away a lot of the impact of that that first one, mm-hmm. which was just kind is, of mind blowing. Was that the? It turned it into a Cronenberg planet. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I I, re- I remember I don't even know what season it was. There's a scene with um, uh, uh, Morty and Summer, uh, yes. and and Morty is explaining to Summer, see that see that uh, bump. In the backyard, yeah. and he he told her everything. Yeah, yes. we bar- we buried our other selves there, and we replaced them. We're not was- actually the family that you know, and that's 
it, it was impressive to me that the the creators are like, wow, they're actually folding that in. They're they're keeping that as a legitimate uh, story moment where they're acknowledging that Rick and Morty are are a part of a family that they didn't originate with. Yeah. They kind of adopted this new family, and that's that's the the type of pushing the uh, the limits of storytelling that makes the creators bonkers because they're they're scrambling to keep up with themselves because that's the way they're they're choosing to tell the stories which one is impressive but two seems rather par for the course for Dan Harmon as far as I can tell driving himself insane uh, yeah just yeah. just making himself crazy for the sake of trying to create something interesting it it is it is very impressive the way they weave it. And as much as it is nihilistic and nothing matters and, you know, all of these people and characters are interchangeable, you do still feel not only for the characters individually, but also for the relationships between them. And there is a sense of continuity, even though they actively, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a miraculous dance they do mm-hmm. where they, where they do maintain emotional continuity, even though the Rick's change probably, and the Morty's change probably, and the plot of one episode might have nothing to do with the plot of another episode, but because this show is so well-crafted, they could bring back any episode at any time like the 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 little super sentient dogs could come back next episode and it wouldn't feel out of place because yeah. everything as much as nothing matters everything matters yeah with so many pieces on the board it's useless for the viewer to try to keep track of them all as they're watching but the creators of the show know where every piece is so if you take the time to track any one element the path that you end up following back to the origin of a particular character or a particular location or, or plot point or element, it's always going to lead back to the right place. They're keeping true to their own storytelling structure. Even if the, the viewer can't keep up because if you take the time, you'll, you'll find out that they're, that they're still on track, which you don't see that very often. And mm-hmm. in that way, it's impressive. And I wish that is what was the most uh, noteworthy thing about the show, rather than uh, the rather than the toxic fans of Rick who think that he is just you know a hero as opposed to the worst person ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, I mean, the, the people they, who jump up and down on the counter at at McDonald's demanding their Szechuan sauce because they saw it on Rick and Morty. Yeah, those, those those are the people who are taking the wrong thing away from the show. They get they don't get the point. Yeah, they yeah. yeah. That's like the people that watch Breaking Bad and they think that Walter White is a is the hero of the sh- of the story. He's mm-hmm. not the hero of the story. He's the villain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have to. Speaking of Dan Harmon, we we have to do a community episode at some point. 
Yeah, I'm, I suppose I should. I, I guess I should watch the show then before we do that. It's worth the watch, Scott. I you would. I think you would really like Community. I just and the episodes it. are only like 22 minutes. You know, you bring you breeze through them quite well, a lot quicker. There's a lot to watch though. There's a lot. I watched. Watch. I watched the whole series in like a month. Yeah, of course, I was working. Uh, I was working in a in a guard shack and at night, and I was <laughs> didn't have anything to do but sit and watch. <laughs> Yeah. I, have no of community, so. I have no idea what that's like. Not yeah. at all. Not at all. I all right. Did, did I mention that I was watching Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams? Mm-hmm. But how am I doing that? I don't know. You did mention that last episode that I edited today, which, by the way, I think I said that, <laughs> I said that there yes. were five F-bombs. There were actually seven. So. <laughs> yeah. Are you counting the one that you did? Because it was written. No. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and point out that uh, that my F-bomb count for that episode, zero. Yeah. Yeah, you were the only one. Actually, the winner was Chris. He had oh, the was most. I? Was I on? Yeah. Sorry. yeah, last week. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I never know with All you right. guys. You guys, you do so many damn shows. Yeah. So. I think all three of these guys... Give a uh, what are you guys laughing at? <laughs> I'm laughing at biopic. Chris head exploding Bio because he said biopic instead of biopic. <laughs> Let me ask you guys something. When you buy a book that's written about a real life person, do you call it a biography? <laughs> do you help your kids with their biology? <laughs> it's a biopic. It's not okay. a biopic. It's a biopic. You're very, you're yeah, very myopic for calling it a biopic. Yeah, there you go, Chris. I'm with you. It, it's a biopic because it's a biographical picture. But anyway, it, but this is why we love short. It's shortening two words. It's not making a new word. Okay. He did make it a portmanteau. So. <laughs> it's a biopic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Sean. <laughs> What's that? Is there anyone on earth who could tell you that is pronounced like, you know, the the president of the dictionary? Like, is there anyone? <laughs> and I'm not let, certainly let, entitled let, to say it any way you want to say it. Let me let me ask you, you got to tell you this. <laughs> Does it really matter how I pronounce the bio? No, not at all. I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm curious because the consensus is. I don't think there is a consensus. I hear people say biopic all the time. Okay. It's so, okay. part biopic. <laughs> don't do it. I know it hurts. It hurts my ears when you say it. <laughs> Just like the, the, all, are you the, trying to say capiche? Well, don't great. do it because it hurts my ears when you do it. You know that great book, the the autobiography of Mark Twain. Oh boy! And when I get home, I've got to help my daughter with her biology. Anyway, I'm, you haven't answered my question though. Like, is there is there anyone? I don't. I'm not saying that. Not you now. Care. Not now. I'll, I'll call it biopic. <laughs> Until the day I die. That's all I wanted to know. Just to God, piss you guys off. God bless you, Sean. <laughs> oh We're going to, as a matter of fact, a future episode. In fact, will I'm be changing about, the name of this show. <laughs> no. We're going to have a future episode about our favorite biopics. 
<laughs> oh boy. You know, Everyone but you is showing up to that show with blank lists. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all three of these I'm, guys. I want to do, they... do my favorite biopics that are also Rimakis of other films. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna. Gi- I'm gonna give you guys a present right now. Thank you, John. <laughs> I was going to wait till the end of the show to do it, so you saved me some trouble. Oh, boy. This concludes our broadcast day.